The year is 1931. The new Nazi party has begun to rise in Germany. In Berlin, there's a small nightclub. One of the people that perform at this club is an American woman, Sally, who sings and dances, but dreams of becoming a famous actress. When she meets a young man, the reserved English writer Brian, both their lives change. When a rich married playboy and baron, Maximilian, arrives, their lives even get more complicated. But they all spend time at the Kit Kat Club. Yes, they all come to the cabaret, my friends. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. Well, hello there. Welcome to Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. My name is Jeff Kelly, and here I like to go beyond, you know, rating a film. Is it up to me to judge a film, to tell you if it's a good or bad film? I don't think so. I like to go a little deeper, talk about the actors and the history and all that type of thing. This is episode 54, and for this one, I'm going to talk about a film that, until this week, I had never seen before. Bob Fosse's 1972 classic, Cabaret. I think one reason I might not have seen this film before, until this week was because it was a musical, and I'm not huge on musicals, you know, actors who spontaneously break into song. And while this is a musical, the songs are mostly done on the stage, in the Kit Kat Club, so that was okay. You know, I remember seeing all that jazz back in 1979. That was in the early days of cable TV. And I had no idea at the time that it was a semi-autobiographical film by Bob Fosse. Even the name Bob Fosse back then didn't mean anything to me. Eventually, I did see Lenny, and I knew he was the director, and then I found out that he was also a dancer and a choreographer, but that was about it, even up until this day. Once I saw Cabaret, I thought, it's time for me to look a little bit into this man. His name was Robert Louis Fosse, and he lived from 1927 to 1987. He was born in Chicago. At an early age, he began taking dancing lessons. This might have been because he was the second youngest child of six kids and found that dancing was a good way to get attention. But the fact was, he loved dancing and was very good at it, and it didn't take long for his family to realize that he was a child prodigy. He began dancing professionally when he was 13 in sleazy vaudeville and burlesque shows. Being around strippers and such definitely had an effect on the young man and would have a huge impact on his later work. There's a scene in all that jazz that shows him as a young man in a burlesque house, and from what I've read, that was pretty close to accurate. At the age of 18, he enlisted into the Navy with the idea of helping fight during World War II. But as soon as he joined, within weeks, World War II came to an end, but he still finished his two years. And once he was done, he headed to New York. For the next couple of years, he danced on TV and theater with the occasional small film part. Along with that, he had a couple of failed marriages. His big break came in 1953 in the film Kiss Me Kate. In that, although he was hired just as a dancer, he was allowed to do his own choreography. 
Within a year of that, he was a choreographer in both film and stage, including the films My Sister Ellen, The Pajama Game, Damn Yankees, and Sweet Charity. Now, Cabaret had already been a successful Broadway musical, and if I understand it correctly, American writer Christopher Isherwood wrote a semi-autobiographical novel called Goodbye to Berlin in 1939 about his experiences in the poverty-stricken Weimar Republic and his intimate friendship with a 19-year-old cabaret singer named Jean Ross. The novel was adapted for the stage in 1951 and was called I Am a Camera, and then it was made into a musical in 1966 called Cabaret. The music was done by John Kander and lyrics by Fred Ebb. In May of 1969, Allied Artists paid a record $1.5 million for the film rights. This was a huge gamble by Allied Artists. They were in trouble at the time, and this was pretty much an all-or-nothing proposition. If the film failed, most likely, so would the company. Once Fosse learned that the musical was being made into a film, he quickly began begging for the job as director. Unfortunately for Bob, his last film, Sweet Charity, was a huge box office failure. The chief executives on the project, Manny Wolf and Martin Baum, were looking for an established director like Billy Wilder or Joseph L. Mankiewicz or even Gene Kelly. It was the film's producer, Cy Fuhr, that convinced them to hire Fosse. Now, Bob was unhappy with the original script, so he hired Hugh Wheeler to rewrite it. Now, interestingly, in the original book, Christopher Isherwood's character is openly gay. In the play, he was turned into a heterosexual, but in the film now, you'll find him a bisexual man. The big change Fosse brought to the film was to remove all musical numbers that happened outside the Kit Kat Club. Like most staged musicals, the stage play Cabaret had characters break into a song during a scene. Fosse felt, and, and as I previously stated, I agree with him, that although that works on the stage, it doesn't work so well in film. The songs left in the film were the ones performed on stage, so it seemed more natural. There's only one song that's not done on the stage, and that's outside at a cafe, and we'll get into that a little later. It was sort of a neat move how the songs could reflect what was going on at the time and such. Anyway, the film's star, of course, was Liza Minnelli. She was born in 1949 and, as of this recording, is still around today. She plays Sally Bowles, the character based on the real-life Jean Ross. Now, I know her performance is considered wonderful and many people like it, but I just wasn't so sure. She never actually made me forget that she wasn't Liza. Maybe if I had seen the film back in 72, it would have been different. But hey, who am I to complain? After all, she won the Best Actress Academy Award, so what do I know? But I have to admit it, there's something about her character in the film that first put me off. I've never been a fan of those characters who, who ramble on and on and who are shockingly honest and frank, and they tell you their whole life story within the first three minutes of meeting. How long have you been here? Forever. How long is that? Almost three months. It's the most marvelous boarding house. Marvelous lodgers. Everybody's broke, of course, but who isn't these days? Now, there's Fraulein Meyer, who's a masseuse. For ladies only. And then there's Fraulein Koster, who's a terribly sweet streetwalker. I think we're supposed to find her charming and refreshing, but I found her rude and annoying. 
Again, maybe that's me. If you ever meet me for the first time, don't shove a drink into my hand made with a raw egg and tell me I'm going to love it, all right? I'm not going to drink it. You'll adore these. Prairie oysters, darling. It's an egg with Worcestershire sauce all sort of whooshed up together. 50 marks with breakfast. Even when I'm behind on the rent. Fine, isn't it? When she first meets Michael York's character, Sally talks and talks without York being able to say a thing. Of course, later on, we see that this brassy confidence is hovering up our own insecurities and such. Maybe I find this off-putting because this type of character has been done so many times since. Anyway, I heard that Manelli didn't really concern herself with the real person the character is based on, but made the character her own. According to Liza, when preparing for the role, she turned to her father, and he told her to study the life of the American film actress and dancer Louise Brooks. Books is regarded today as the icon of the jazz age and flapper culture. And you can see that in the way Liza looks in the film. She looks a lot like Louise Brooks. Now I read that Liza, with a Z, had auditioned for the original play, but was thought to be too inexperienced at the time. But when they got around to making the film, she had become a successful actress, including a Oscar nomination as the emotionally damaged college student in The Sterile Cuckoo in 1969. I've often wondered what it was like to be her, you know, to grow up and try to make it as an actress. I mean, some might think it's easy due to her parents, but having been the child of Vincent Minnelli and Judy Garland... Anyway, she does sing and dance wonderfully, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Here's a trivia fact for you. Liza was once married to Jack Haley Jr., so we got the daughter of Dorothy married to the son of the Tin Man. Fosse cast Michael York to play the part of Brian Roberts, who I assume is based on writer Christopher Isherwood. Do you know what this artistic and colorful book's about? No, tell, tell. It's pure pornography. But of course it is, darling. All of Herr Ludwig's books are dirty books. Hmm. What's this one called? Cleo. Idama mit der Peitsche. Cleo the Whip Lady. (laughs) Like I said, Isherwood was openly gay while York's character is bisexual. But I guess by doing that, they could have a sexual relationship with him and Sally, I'm guessing. York was born in 1942 and is still alive today as of this recording. His last credit was in 2014. Some of you younger kids might know him as Basil Exposition in the Austin Power films. Now, apparently, Liza was against casting York in the film, but she changed her mind the first time they acted together. And, well, Michael York. I mean, he is a marvelous actor, but... And maybe it's just me again, but Michael York always seems to be Michael York. So proper in English. That's not a bad thing, really, because I always enjoy watching him on screen. Now I read that apparently there was a scene in the original script in which the first time Liza and York make love that they were supposed to look down and see his huge um, member and then York would break into some Shakespearean quotation. Well, apparently York refused to look down and refused to speak the quotation. So Bob just went with it. Now, one can't talk about this film without talking about Joel Grey as the master of ceremonies. I'll be the same. He's the only member of the original stage play to make it into the film. 
Now, Joel was born in 1932 and, as of this recording, is also still living. He was an American actor, singer, dancer, photographer, and theater director. He's won an Academy Award, a Tony Award, and a Golden Globe Award. Now, Joel really doesn't have a character so much in the film. I mean, we never see him unless he's performing on the stage. But what a performance. I don't know if that's what it was really like in the clubs in Germany in 1940, but it's just crazy. Now, I loved all the musical productions on the stage in the film. Joel would end up winning the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, and it was well-deserved. In an article in The Guardian, they wrote, The songs may have been great, but when he first read the script, he was alarmed that there was no dialogue and no direct involvement with the plot. The role was essentially a metaphor for seduction and corruption. He said, I was worried that it was one-dimensional, that he was a nightclub performer doing numbers. That's exactly what Gray had been trying to escape. I had to find out the psychology of the MC and who he was off stage, so hopefully I could bring that biography into those numbers. So, quickly, the plot of the film. A Cambridge University student named Brian Roberts arrives in Brooklyn in 1931 with the idea of teaching English. He lives in an inexpensive boarding room where he meets American Sally Bowles, a bold, sexually liberated, outwardly flamboyant, perpetually happy woman. Slowly, Brian finds himself entering her world, and of course, they become lovers. Later, they both have sex with the wealthy Baron Maximilian von Hune, and I hope I pronounced that right. And with that, there's also the poor Fritz Wendell, who wants to be a gigolo, and the beautiful and straight-laced Natalie Landauer. And all this drama is going on while at the same time the Nazi movement is taking a hold of Germany. It's a whole thing. But now it's time for me to take a break, and because, again, I'm here by myself, I'll do the break. So, since I'm by myself again, it's time for another episode of What's Jeff Been Watching? So I saw the new Knives Out movie called Glass Onion. It stars Daniel Craig, who returns as master detective Benoit Blah, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. It's an odd name. Anyway, I really enjoyed this film. I've been waiting for it ever since I saw the first one. It's rather longish, and it maybe takes a while to get going, And I thought the end was perhaps a little disappointing, but I really can't tell you why because I don't want to spoil it for you. I just expected a little bit more. All in all, though, it was an enjoyable watch. It had some great moments, and the cast is all fantastic, especially Janelle Monae, who is almost the real star of the flick. She's just just wonderful. But here's the problem. I can't talk much about this film because it's a mystery, and... Any talk of the twists and turns will ruin it for you. It's one surprise after another. But I think, however, if you enjoyed the first Knives Out film, you'll probably like this one as well. One thing I will spoil for you is Glass Onion is the name of a Beatles song written by John Lennon, and it is used at the end of the film. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about this. Now back to me and the story of Cabaret.
think my favorite scene, or should I say scenes, of the film has to be the performances at the Kit Kat Club with Joel Grey. They're sexually charged, but with a sense of humor, and they're all amusing. I mean, what's there not to like? I mean, they reflect what's going on at the time in Germany, I guess, so... Anyway, the staging of the numbers was definitely Fosse's strength. I mean, the opening number is great, but I was sort of annoyed that they kept cutting away to York arriving in Germany. I would have rather had the number play out without interruption. Mine Hair by Liza Minnelli was catchy, and Two Ladies by Joel Grey really stands out. It was a fine affair, but now it's over. And though I used to care, I need the open air. You're better off without me, mine hair. Two ladies, two ladies, but I'm so only mania. I like it. The most powerful scene in the film is when the three of them, Brian, Sally, and Maximilian, are in an outdoor cafe and a man in a Nazi uniform begins to sing. One by one, other Germans join in, including a small child. There's one old man who listens and looks disgusted. This was the only song not done in the club, and it's very powerful. I thought it was interesting that at the end of the song, suddenly we cut to a smiling Joel Grey. I'm not quite sure how I was supposed to take that. Now in the film, I was surprised to hear in a 1972 movie that characters talk so openly about sex, especially bisexuality and abortion. Fornication. Oh, right. Darling, what is the German word? I don't remember. Uh, oh, yes. Oh, no. Bumsen. Oh. That would be the one German word you pronounce perfectly. Well, I ought to. I spent the entire afternoon bumsoming like mad with some ghastly old producer who promised to give me a contract. One of the strangest scenes in the movie is when Sally appears to have an orgasm while she's screaming after a train goes by. I remember thinking as I watched it, did she just, I think she did. Oh, okay. This is one of those rare films that I put on without knowing what I was getting into. I think I figured it was some sort of romantic thing that takes place in a nightclub, something along those lines. I don't know. 
Like I said, I didn't know anything about it except for the famous song Cabaret. The scene that really took me by surprise was about halfway through. Brian, Sally, and Maximilian are driving down the street, and we see a dead man lying on the ground with a large stream of blood running from his head. The Nazis are just a gang of stupid hooligans, but they do serve a purpose. Let them get rid of the communists. Later, we'll be able to control them. But who exactly is we? Germany, of course. Hey, Max, can we go to the Bristol bar? Why not? Oh, wonderful. I'm dying to show off my new coat. I think I could do with a drink, too. Good. We'll make a night of it. Oh, why not a weekend? All in all, I enjoyed watching this film more than I expected. And now, here's that point in the show where I read some reviews that others have written. For that, of course, there's Rotten Tomatoes. It does get an 87% audience score, which is very respectable. Mark C. gave it the full five stars, and he wrote, Powerful political and social commentary that should be required viewing. Great musical score. Great acting. One of the best films of the 20th century. Stephen E. also gave it five stars, and he wrote, The finest hour for everyone involved. Cabaret is both an excellent adaption and stylish, incredible entertainment. Bob Fosse directs with as much gusto and audacity as a filmmaker possibly can, creating awe-inspiring sequence after awe-inspiring sequence. The song and dance numbers are really what makes the experience so worthwhile, but the narrative, which deals with the rise of Nazi Germany, is just as captivating. Liza Minnelli and Jill Grey are both perfect, giving two of the greatest performances ever captured on film, and the songs are ever so catchy. I don't recall there being one song I didn't thoroughly enjoy. Cabaret is one great triumph of American cinema and is definitely a must-see for film and theater lovers. Um, you may be going a little overboard there, uh, Stephen, but uh, I won't argue. Alex K. only gave it two stars, and he wrote, 1972's The Godfather is my fourth favorite film of all time. Okay, Alex, you confused me. What does The Godfather have to do with this film? I know they were released the same year, and Godfather won for best film, but still, I don't get your point. Joel H. gave it only one and a half stars, and he wrote, I'm not a fan of Cabaret. From the story to the acting to the cinematography to the editing, I just found the whole experience to be off-putting. I never understood the appeal of Liza Minnelli, and I thought the B-plot was more interesting than the main story. I'm kind of shocked that this won so many Academy Awards. This hedonistic, nihilistic film is just not my scene. So, Joel, not your scene, eh? You know, I can see this film wasn't for everybody, but I'd like to know what your problem with the cinematography and editing were. Catherine S. gave it only one star, and she wrote, When a respected film critic like Peter Bradshaw calls this film the greatest musical of all time, I go into seeing it with high expectations, and that's why I was so disappointed when I found a film devoid of pleasure. I was also aware of Liza Minnelli via the great reputation of her in this role, as phrases like iconic were thrown around willy-nilly when discussing her. I found her to be a bad actress in this role as she lacked the ability to transfix me when she wasn't singing and appeared to be playing a version of herself while her singing and dancing were underwhelming. Catherine went on and on and on and on, but I'll cut it short because I think we get the idea. 
the music in this film was almost all diegetic, which I found refreshing. I can't think of any music in the film that's not either performed or on the radio or on a record player, that type of thing. Now I knew the main song, Cabaret, which is sung at the very end of the movie, but now that I've listened to the whole song, there's a bit more to it than I had thought. I used to have this girlfriend known as Elsie, with whom I shared four sordid rooms in Chelsea. She wasn't what you'd call a blushing flower. As a matter of fact, she rented by the hour. The day she died, the neighbors came to snicker. Well, that's what comes from too much pills and liquor. But when I saw her laid out like a queen, she was the happiest corpse I'd ever seen. I think of Elsie to this very day. I remember how she turned to me and said, What good is sitting all alone in your room? Come, hear the music play. Life is a cabaret, old chum. Come to the cabaret. And as for me... Speaking of Academy Awards, this film holds the record for the most wins without winning Best Picture. It won Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Score Adaption and Original Song Score, and Best Sound. It didn't, however, win Best Picture. That went to The Godfather. This is one of the rare occasions where the Best Director didn't go to the film that won Best Film. I think that may have been the way for the Academy to honor both the films. As far as Bob Fosse, it was a big year for the man. He would win the Academy Award and Emmy Award for both direction and choreography for the TV special Liza with a Z, and a Tony Award for the play Pippin. In 1979, he would write and direct the autobiographical film All That Jazz, in which he told the world what a self-destructive jerk he was and asked for forgiveness. How old are you two? 22. 21. You don't look no 21 to me. Where do you live? Duquoin. Do what? Duquoin, Illinois. The biggest county fair in the country. Sulky races and everything. That's where we got our start. Entertaining. Strip tease. Songs, dances, skits. Don't any... bother briefing him. Where were you going? To L.A. What you mean, were? Just that. Pick up the stuff. A little bit before I go. You know, I thought it was interesting that during the whole film, we never get a good shot of the outside of the Kit Kat Club. You know, most films would introduce the club with an establishing shot, the front of the club, maybe from across the street with a slow dolly in. But not here. I can't even say I know what the club looks like from the outside. Interesting. You know, as a fan of the motion picture, there are films I know I should see, but I never have. I mean, I've never seen Mary Poppins or Saving Private Ryan, for instance. 
Cabaret used to be one of those films, but now I'm glad I saw it. I doubt it's one of those films I'll ever go back to, but that's just me. How about you? Have you seen Cabaret? Did you like it? I'd love to hear your comments. And you can send them to me at daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Days of Celluloid, all being one word. You can email me with your thoughts, opinions, suggestions for future shows, or even just to say hi. Or you can use our Facebook page. It's called Celluloid Days. And we have a Twitter page. It's at celluloid underscore days. Next week, we're going to go back to the world of riffing with a Mystery Science Theater 3000 classic, Untamed Youth. The remarkable film starring Mamie Van Doren. It's from Mystery Science Theater's first season. And I'm sort of hoping Nancy will join me. Now, before you leave, I have one more request. Could you please leave me a review, hopefully a good one, at wherever you stream this podcast? I'd be forever grateful. Hey, thanks for listening. I'll be back next Monday with a bunch of wild kids and untamed youth. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. Your stupid minds! Stupid! Stupid! The High Court may well sentence you to torture! Can you play the piano? I can, and sing!